All right, good stuff. Thank you, Tori. Lots of stuff going on. Um, I hope you make time for most of it. Always great opportunities. Going to make a little bit of room up here. Okay, I'm bringing the last sermon of the day, and it's, it's going to be good. Um, gotcha. Um, we are in the midst of a, a sermon series called Seeing Jesus. The last few Sundays, um, Ronnie, Kale, Garrett all talked about different aspects of, of one-on-one ministry, really tapping into our axiom that one-on-one is how it's done. And we've got eight more Sundays planned where we're going to um, follow our, our new study that's called Seeing Jesus through the, the eight lessons that are there. And it's eight lessons that very simply focus on Jesus and, and try to lead us there and, and, and see Jesus. Each lesson has two passages out of the Gospels, one story about Jesus, one teaching from Jesus. And uh, it's going to be great. And so stick with us. That study itself is, is on our website. And I know many of us are, are trying it out for the first time. But as we preach through it, we'll keep reminding you, you know, we want to equip you uh, to be able to, to speak to people and, and hear from Jesus together in one-on-one relationships, both inside and outside the community, to really grow disciples, to make immature believers. So that's what we're about. Today, the the first lesson in that study is called His Purpose. This is Jesus' purpose. That's what we're going to talk about. And so on one hand, Jesus' purpose, that's about as huge a theological topic as you can bust open. Just all the whys. Like, God, what? why? What is your motivation behind all of this? And and why did you do this that way? And and everything. Um, But on the other hand, Jesus himself makes it pretty clear what he was about, you know, throughout the Gospels. And we're going to focus on a couple of those very simple, direct statements today that really give light to his purpose and what he's up to. You know, if I would summarize it just at the very top, I would say Jesus lived on purpose. He he lives on purpose, always on purpose. And that purpose is good for us. It's good for you. And you should live on purpose too, not haphazardly. And your purpose should look similarly to Jesus's. And so I'd encourage you in that as we look at the scripture today. And this certainly is is right in line with one of those values we've been trying to heat up all year, intentional living, that as disciples, we would follow Christ with intention and we would live on purpose and, and be in step with the Spirit as, as much as it's within our, our effort to achieve. So, to do this, we're going to start in Luke 19. Uh, then we're going to go to John 10, just these couple places. If you want to go there with me, Luke 19, verses 1 through 10. I'm going to read this, and uh, we'll talk through it together. This is a, a familiar story from Luke 19. Uh, it's the Zacchaeus story goes like this. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief collector and he was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. And when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, 
Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and, and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That line there is one of the the simple statements from Jesus. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And his purpose was bound up in that. And so should ours be. But let's let's look through this. So, um, you know, there's always great avenues to dive deep into Scripture. Just to bring this to life a little bit, I want to do a, a few of them. But um, when we hear about Zacchaeus being uh, a chief tax collector and wealthy, you know, that comes with a, a whole lot of baggage that, that many of us are familiar with. But he uh, would have been pretty reviled by his uh, Hebrew brothers. He's basically a sellout working for the, the evil regime of Rome. And um, when he talks about, um, if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay it back, he most certainly cheated a lot of people out of a lot of money. And, um, you know, the fact that, that he was wealthy in that, I'll tell you, Luke wants us to have in mind a story from the previous chapter, which is the rich young ruler, and really juxtapose these two responses uh, to Christ uh, against one another. And just to remember the rich young ruler... He comes to Jesus. He's like, what must I do? Uh, and Jesus, you know, mentions some of the, the Ten Commandments. He's like, I've done that always my whole life. And Jesus is like, okay, good. One thing you still lack. Sell your possessions. Give your stuff away. Then come follow me. And that guy in chapter 18, he went away sad. Because apparently his ties to, to his wealth and materials was, was too great. And it superseded what he was willing to do for Jesus. And so... Uh, when we hear that Zacchaeus is wealthy, you know, the, the reader's like, oh, what, what's he going to do with his call from Jesus? The, uh, the invitation from Jesus, I think, is, is crucial. And when we think about tapping in and, and partnering with him in his purpose, we can learn a, a lot from this. You know, to just walk up and say, hey, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. You know, that is um, maybe a bit bold, Though it, it would have honored Zacchaeus greatly to host a, a traveling rabbi like Jesus. But, but certainly straightforward, to the point. Uh, think through our, our own list of excuses. No waiting around to kind of build a relationship before we ask someone to, to coffee or make sure we interact with a coworker a handful of times before we mention Jesus or, or whatever it is. He, he just he asks the question. He makes the invite and he says, hey, let's do this. And, um, you know, Garrett talked about some of that last week. You need to ask the question. You need to, to be on mission and just put it out there. And, and maybe some people will, will turn you down, but many people will respond like Zacchaeus. You know, to go there and, and see that uh, many people are, are grumbling about it, that he's a, a guest of a sinner. You know, one thing to make note, I guess, within the passage, there's 
certainly time passing here. The, the Bible likes to do things in pretty short, you know, sweet stories at, at different times. But, um, you know, between verse 6 and 7, they, they actually made it to Zacchaeus' house. This isn't all happening in 30 seconds under the tree. Um, but, you know, the people witness this, and there's opposition to, to what Jesus is up to. And, you know, we will certainly face similar reactions. And, and I think often we can be far too moved by people's perception of us. And if we're going to tap into to his purpose and, and follow him in this, we need to have a, a similar attitude that, you know, Jesus was not overly concerned that some of the religious leaders didn't think it was good to be, you know, eating at, at, the, at a sinner's house. But that's when he drops the line. Like, look, this is why I'm here, to seek and to save the lost. It's going to take interacting with people that certainly don't believe the same things we do. Uh, perhaps we find offensive in any number of ways. But to align to Jesus' purpose, we need to be uh, free and, and comfortable and willing to interact with anyone and everyone and get past often the, the worldly you know, divisions and barriers and walls that are set up around whatever ideologies and, and recognize that if we take people to Jesus, we can deal with all the rest later. You know, I really love Zacchaeus' response here. And I think it's worth mentioning along the way. Um, this echoes a, a lot of people that were invited by Jesus to come follow him. You can look at Matthew, one of the uh, apostles. You know, through the letter of Acts and what Paul was doing, we see it over and over. Often the first response to someone accepting the invitation, you know, coming to this conversion point is a, an invitation to their house. And... Um, it, it's just so interesting and inspiring if you'll pay attention to that throughout the story. Jesus is having these little dinner parties just on the regular. And, and there was reason to celebrate. And when a house came to, to know the Lord, it was a big deal that, that was celebrated. And so, you know, hospitality, I think rightly so, is one of the best and first reactions to, to what... Uh, God has done for us. And it's something we should certainly uh, move forward in together and with others. All of this is, is good, and we could continue to dive in, but the point here is that the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And so certainly this is the good news. This is beyond good news for all of us. It is good news that we can still offer to the world around us. You know, he came to save you. He came to reconcile the world to himself. It wasn't an accident or a byproduct of something else. The creator God longs for interaction with and relationship with us, his creations. And that, that truly is profound. I don't think there's words to really hit that home as well as it could be. But he wants you. He is after you. And, you know, part of the, the commissioning he's given us after we receive our own invitation to take that elsewhere is just as profound. He wants to use you to, to bring people into his fold. 
And so the question you know, we have to ask ourselves is, is, do we live on purpose? Do you live intentionally? Think about it, just your day-to-day, as you go out, your comings and goings, are you making the most of every opportunity with the kingdom in mind? You know, I think we all have a pretty clear picture because we've all experienced it within ourselves from time to time of what a, an aimless person can, can kind of look like or be like. And it's not, it's not that exciting. It's often um, you know, easy to tell that someone's directionless or just wandering, and um, you know, they, they end up you know, feeling sort of depressive and, and ultimately a pretty ineffectual you know, day-to-day life. You know, God wants to give you the ultimate purpose to, to partner with him, one that would inspire and lead you to, to do all sorts of, of great and good things along his side. You know, as, as we live on purpose and strive to, I think we have to ask, do you see the world, you know, the same way as Christ sees the world? Do you see things through his eyes? You know, it, it's hard, but we often don't see the needs around us. And those glimpses, when the Spirit will open our eyes and show us just how desperately in need some people are, uh, we, we can finally be, be moved. But, you know, we need to, to beg God for that, to be able to see um, the people that need Him, yeah. to be able to see how, how desperate that need is, and, and understand to some degree to, to you know, the the specific end that the Spirit might have with you, He wants you to be a part of, of reaching the lost there. And so should you not also be striving to seek and save the lost? I think the answer is, is clearly yes. And so we have to, to engage and, and just honestly check, am I a part of that right now? How might I better be a part of that? Because the Son of Man came to do just that, seek and save the lost. Let's look at it from another angle. So, uh, John 10. This is a a teaching from Jesus in the form of a parable, which he he often taught in to, to further explain his purpose and what he was up to. This starts in John 10. I'm going to read verses 1 through 11. It says, Very truly I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they don't recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life 
and have it to the full. You know, some of the other translations there will say life abundantly. We like to, to tap into that phrase. He concludes with, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And so like many of the parables, he's, he's using a metaphor and, and imagery to make his point. Really, the, the point here being that he is the Messiah. But obviously, his hearers will be very familiar with sheep pens and the, the comings and goings of shepherds and robbers. Um, certainly, we, we can understand some of that. But Jesus, he wants us to hear this, you know, his being the good shepherd in light of numerous Old Testament passages that criticize Israel's shepherds and leaders for failing in their duty to lead the people. Um, Many of those Old Testament passages, you know, the, the fix for the shepherd's failures is God himself deciding to, to lead the people directly, become Israel's shepherd. And so we see Jesus as the good shepherd in the place of Yahweh that would hold that in these Old Testament passages. Jesus is God. He is Messiah. This is a very common way throughout the Gospels for, for them to show Jesus' divinity. And so it, it's profound for, for that alone. And if you want to tap into some of that, read Ezekiel 34, a beautiful chapter that, that connects all the dots there. You know, he's, he's criticizing the Pharisees in this moment as well, Israel's current leaders. They are the thieves and robbers that don't come through Jesus. They're trying to lead people without him and away from him. But the sheep don't follow him because the sheep recognize the good shepherd's voice. You know, that in itself is, is challenging to me and I think worth a, a, just a minute of reflection. You know, do you recognize Jesus' voice? Do you recognize the, the Spirit's influence within your, your life, within your, your consciousness? You know, do you go about the day and, and feel those nudges towards opportunity or the reminders of some scripture or, or you know, sermon or this or that? And like, yeah, I should fill in the blank. You know, the voice of God is, is, is living and active. And the Spirit wants to interact with you again and again. And, and He's longing for you to respond and, and join the conversation. If you'll seek Him, you will find Him. You'll recognize His voice and you'll see in a hurry how life on purpose with Him can, can turn things around. You know, the fact in this passage that Jesus is the gate, He is the way to eternal life. He is the good shepherd. He's God. He's come to lead us where we couldn't lead ourselves. And the point where he's leading us is that they may have life and have it to the full, that they may have abundant life. Now, this is the second phrase I want you to hone in on. He came to seek and save the lost. He came to give us abundant life. You know, when we think about abundant life, there's probably a million things we could say. Let me say just a few. The, uh, you know, the whole picture starts at the very beginning. Eden is, is abundant life. You've got heaven and earth as one. You've got uh, this mountain garden where there's plenty of everything and, and humanity is going to partner with God to cultivate and rule over. 
and it, it's perfect. It's beautiful. Uh, you know the story. We, we screw that up. Uh, God makes a new way to be with his people through the tabernacle and then the temple, and, and we certainly mess that up as well. Uh, you, you finally get to Jesus, and he tabernacled among us. He, again, is this pocket of heaven and earth united, uh, bringing a way to, to be with the Savior. We, we kill him. He, he raised from the dead, and we know the story. At Pentecost, the, the Holy Spirit pours out. And so finally, each and every one of us who believe and find our, our faith in him, our hosts to the Spirit. We are Eden. We are where heaven and earth overlap. We're little pockets of that that can move around and, and be Jesus for people. We can invite people to be with God, to touch God, to interact with. And as we tap into all this to seek and save, to bring this abundant life, we're doing exactly what God has been after the whole time and what we will see come to fruition in the end of the age. So abundant life, I mean, it is abundance. Like, there is enough for everyone. God is beyond generous. You know, it is a vicious lie to to think that resources are scarce. Therefore, I've got to take care of mine and my own at the expense of everyone else. This is the power struggle that sin has used from the very beginning to dominate. And it's where greed reigns supreme. But God says there is enough. Like, He is enough. And that can be very simple. Like, we have purposes that interfere with God's purpose, that interfere with Jesus' purpose. And often, it's tied to, to this lie that there isn't enough, this feeling that we have to take care of ourselves in spite of, against anything that God may be doing. And, and we just flat out don't trust him that he's going to provide, that he is enough. Abundant life is tapping into that realization that no matter what, you're going to have enough. And that enough, it, it could look different, and maybe you don't like it on the surface, but when you experience it, you realize it's better than anything the world can offer. Abundant life is partnership with God. It's working with Him in line with His purpose and care of His creation, tapping into that, that initial command to, to be fruitful and multiply, to cult, cultivate the earth, to rule it with God. You know, the abundant life is, is restoration and redemption and reconciliation. It's never too late to do the right thing. Right? Your, your life is never beyond saving. Your specific problems and addictions and hang-ups are not a lost cause. Look, I know... So you, you messed up again. Like, again, again. I, I know what that's like. We all know what that's like. Abundant life is here to bring reconciliation. So turn to Jesus. You know, the abundant life is grace. Um, again and again, grace on top of grace on top of grace. It's forgiveness as much as you can hand out. That People desperately need that. You know, we walk around so hurt and broken and bitter because we haven't experienced grace and forgiveness. People need you to show them that and bring them to the foot of the cross. The abundant life is a a growing community of believers. More and more people freed from sin, freed from false expectations, you know, freed to to live life anew. 
It's friendships and family and unity and peace and, and you name it. All that that can only come through Christ. That's what he's striving to offer you. That's the purpose, the, the motivation behind his seeking you out. The abundant life isn't you know, free of, of suffering or pain. We've talked about that a, a couple times today. Um, it's the only life you know, within which our suffering and pain can make any sense. It's the only life within which we can actually still respond with joy in the face of suffering and pain and see it connected to a broader story and and an eternal ending that is good for all of us. The abundant life is what Jesus came to give us. We could go on and on with that. I, I think... You know, similar to something I said earlier, we just take for granted far too often these blessings that we have. Even just in this room, this, this little community we have together, we, we reap so much good from it. We, we have so much fun together. We, we meet each other's needs. We, we worship God together. And, and it just becomes sort of our normal in a way that if we're not careful, we just get super lazy and content. Jesus' life shows just the opposite of that. He was resolute in his purpose, like constantly on the move, constantly doing. You know, he said, the world must learn that I've come to do exactly what the Father commanded me to do. And he did so much in such a short amount of time, and he's still working and desiring to partner with you. You know, purpose certainly does take effort. And if we're going to, to share in Jesus' purpose, we, we certainly have to, to work with him. You know, I asked it earlier, but I'll ask it again. Shouldn't our purpose look like his own? To participate in saving the lost, to participate in bringing people into, sharing with, inviting them into abundant life. And we can't let a lack of purpose take us away from that life that he's offering. We can't let purposes that oppose God take us away from, from those efforts. It's not just, you know, our, ourselves that would be missing out. You know, think of your, your coworkers, your neighbors, your friends. You know, God may want to use you to get to them. Don't make them wait. Uh, if I can talk practically here for just a, a few minutes at the end. You know, when we talk about living on purpose, you've got to, to schedule things. You've got to make a plan. It, it's as simple as that. I guess easier said than done. Like, we just, we're pretty good at letting life happen to us instead of, like, happening to life and, and doing what we've intended to do. Uh, there's always going to be, you know, curveballs and, and stuff, you know. Your plans will get messed up again and again. But will you make a plan, please? Like, schedule out what you're after. Um, this is crucial. Like, Jesus knew where he was going 
at every minute. No, I, I would love to stay here. I know there's a crowd of people I haven't got to yet, but we've got to go to this town because I'm heading toward Jerusalem. I'm going to do this deal. You know, he, uh, that story on, on the boat, when he calms the, the storm, we, we've talked about this a million times, but he's sleeping through a storm that was apparently rough enough to have the disciples scared for their lives. And he's asleep. Like that, sure, so he's got faith in God, this or that. He's, he's also just dead tired. You know, he's been moving nonstop. And he gets up and calms the storm for them. Um, he never took a day off. He found rest, and so should we. But all of it is in the name of Christ and his purpose. You know, I, I think a practical thing that I've shared before um, I, I didn't make this up. It was probably Ronnie, but we give him credit for everything. So I'm going to say this came from Mark Mullins. Um, oh, I guess the people don't believe me on that. No, sorry. Um, if you want to have something to, to plan around, do every morning, like a, like a minute, two minutes, look at your day, what are you doing and why. Just put that, you can fit that in anywhere. You know, less than five minutes. Just here's my day. Is this what I want? What should I be up to? Um, Each week, maybe a little bit more. Ten minutes on a Saturday morning, you know, 30 minutes on a Sunday afternoon. Here's what I want to get done this week. Send some texts. Make some plans. Like, look forward just a bit. Monthly, again, maybe the first Saturday of each month. Okay, let's... 45 minutes, an hour, let's make sure this is what uh, I want to get done next month and, and kind of you know, ask the Spirit to, to step into some of what you should be about. And, and then annually, maybe you can spend half a day or a day and like give God some devoted prayer time to set some long-term plans and goals in place. Like This is a rhythm that I've tried to practice for some time that is really, really helpful. And it's just inviting Jesus into those plans and like begging the Spirit to, to move with you and, and try to get done what, what you can get done. Because certainly, I don't want any of you to come away from this and feel like there's a million things to do that you're not doing. There's no way I can do it. Like it's, it's just dead on arrival. There are small things that you can do within your schedule without adding a single bit of time or taking away from other activities to make it all more purposeful to shape it all more and more towards uh, what Christ looks like and what he's after. Certainly in that, we've just got to to make an effort. I talked about that already. Um, You've got to listen to the Spirit. You know, he said, if you would seek me with all your heart, you're going to find me. You know, he begged the Israelites throughout the whole story, if you would just come to me, like if you would just... Pick your eyes up off of your daily stuff, your selfish list, and, and interact with the Spirit. And beg Him to, to see things through His eyes, to, to see people through His eyes, to ask Him, who should I spend time with? Who, who should I hang out with? Where should I work? Where should I live? The, all of it. Early and often, revisit those questions. God, is this still what's best for me to be doing? And, and then move in that. And I think you'll find, 
uh, at least I have found over the years that the more you do this, the the less burdensome it, it becomes. You know, there's ups and downs, but you can build some things that tap into that abundant life that is only better in the end. And what you're afraid of or think would be too hard or too busy is so much better than, than the opposite. You know, purposelessness, uh, living without intent, that's where you know time gets wasted. That's where you're always playing catch up. That's where that's the whole procrastination thing. That's what brings stress and anxiety and and all of it. Like just a little bit of purpose. If you'll tap into to what Jesus has shown us and what He's inviting you into, I think you'll realize it's way better in the end than anything else. And so, just to repeat, when we think like, "Why, God? What?" Why this whole deal? At least a couple answers are really clear. He did it to seek and save the lost because he wants you. And he did it to bring you life and that life to the full, to abundance. He doesn't just want you. He wants to give you everything. Like it is only good for you in the end. So we're going to pray and wrap up here. Um, pray with me. Let's invite God into this, into our lives, into our plans, and and beg him to to make us a more purposeful community. God, you are so good. And it is inspiring, a a little daunting at times, to really try and tap into what you're doing and why, and then to realize that um, what you're up to uh, includes us. And you don't want to go about this on your own. But from the beginning, you've wanted to partner with humanity, with us. I would ask, just please give us a a heart that's more and more like Jesus. Uh, But open our eyes to to our own purpose, to the motivations behind what we do and and why we do it. And and give us the the willingness and the ability to, to shift those more towards you. Um, if there's activities we need to stop doing, God, show us. What is that? If, if there's stuff we need to do more of, please give us that insight. Um, we thank you for your great purpose, and, and we just marvel that it includes us as, as much as it does. And, and we ask that, um, yeah, that we could be more and more uh, like Jesus and living in that same purpose, God. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, y'all are dismissed. Have a great day.